Action Fanatics, welcome to another edition of the Bulletproof Podcast. I am your host, Chris the Brain, and joining me, my co-host and colleague, Chad Cruz. Chad, we are about to celebrate a great, great director. Absolutely, and we've talked about him several times now at this point. I think we're on episode, I believe, what, 21? This is 21, yes. Episode 21 of the podcast. We've probably mentioned Craig R. Baxley, uh, I don't know, four, five, six times. So I think it's 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 time to finally jump in with both feet and talk about some of his films. And another man that we've mentioned many times here on the podcast, he is back, Chris DiPetrillo, the Toy Man. Welcome I back. I have Chris. returned just in time for the podcast to be of legal drinking age. Ooh. That's right. That's right. And I'm sure uh, Chad is taking advantage of that. Um, Indeed. So we are going to be talking about Craig R. Baxley all September long, the Baxley Three, as we have dubbed them, his first three films. Um, but before we get into the Baxley Three, since we have you uh, here, Chris, I was wondering, because I know very well that you have a problem, um, not the <laughs> same kind of problem that Chad has with his rum and coke. I'm talking about yeah, the your, your, your Dollar Tree uh, problem. So before we talk about the Baxley three, can you tell us your most recent dollar store three? I know you, you got way more than three, but what are the top three uh, titles you've picked up at Dollar Tree recently? Oh, let's see. Uh, because, you know, as you know, because you're usually the first person I hit up when I'm in a Dollar Tree, uh, can usually never walk out with more than uh, 10 to 20 at a time. And oh this last haul has been not so much disappointing, but it's more or less kind of retreads from older waves. But uh, over the last couple of months, uh, some select features have been the subject of No Surrender Cinema. So I would definitely want to throw Power Kids in there because Power Kids was one that I reviewed a few months back and had found on standard DVD. But in this most recent wave, just this past week, I managed to procure it on Blu-ray. So naturally, I decided to upgrade for only a dollar. Why not? And I'll pass my standard copy on to a friend who enjoys action as much as I do. But uh, to round out the top three, I would have to say that the collector's edition of Hobo with a Shotgun, which oh. was also the subject of No Surrender Cinema at one point, that definitely deserves a space in the top three. And then I would say that although it wasn't recent, it was sometime last year, and although it was something that I have on a certain collection that we're all familiar with, the single Blu-ray release of what is possibly BPA's favorite film of all time, the uh, incomparable Death Wish 3 oh. purchased at Dollar Tree. So if you are in the vicinity of a Dollar Tree, if you are not aware that they sell movies, guess what they do? And like I said, this most recent wave uh, has featured a lot of stuff from older waves. I've noticed that some people are actually finding the Bronson collection of Death Wish 2, 3, and 4 this time around on Blu-ray. So there is a lot of Chuck to go around in addition to some Chuck Norris, uh, some PM entertainment flicks that I've mentioned before. Uh, just a whole lot of stuff that we know and love over at Bulletproof Action has appeared there as well as some new stuff uh, like how I discovered Power Kids. So if you're around, go check out the selection. Wow. I, you know, I have two things to say. One, I feel cheated because every time I get a Dollar Tree, it's Assassin's Creed direct-to-video movie. That's like the only one they have. Two, I have a quick question for you, Toy Man. What percentage of films uh, on DVD do you also own on Blu-ray? As far as my entire collection, I yeah. would say probably about only like maybe 20%. Um, okay. My Blu-ray collection is rather small as far as compared to just the movie collection in general because what had also happened was from about 2005 until a couple of years ago, uh, and still with the odd, odd here and there uh, copy, uh, I relate. Yeah, related. I relied primarily on burning DVDs uh, in mm. an effort to save money and pay the rent. And so the Blu-ray upgrades were kind of limited to favorite films or Black Friday deals, stuff like that. So you know, I'm not a snob when it comes to Blu-ray, 4K. You know, I'll, I'll watch a full screen copy if it's all I got. 
but uh, most recently I did upgrade my burned copy of Tough Turf to the new Blu-ray, uh, as well as uh, the classic 80s comedy Moving Violations and the 90s com- comedy Miracle Beach. Those are actually all due to arrive on Blu-ray in the next couple of days. An amazing collection, Toy Man, an amazing collection. And yeah, I picked up that Tough Turf Blu-ray as well. Uh, real fan of that one. Finally, finally watched it this year and instant fan. Tough Turf and the New Kids are two movies that a lot of people slept on that really uh, should get the love that they deserve. Well, if you go out to your uh, local Dollar Tree and find some uh, awesome action movies, you are welcome to uh, tweet us about it at Bulletproof Pod, or you can uh, hit us up on Instagram or Facebook at Bulletproof Action. But right now, let's get into the main event action. Let's get into Action Jackson. It is the first feature film directed by Craig R. Baxley. Prior to this, he had done a couple episodes of the a-team which is a wonderful way to start your action career good start um and action jackson released february the 12th 1988 and uh i gotta say this is probably in my personal top 10 uh action movies of all time yeah it's funny because the uh the poster the tagline on the poster is it's time for action and the actions in quotations uh which i think is kind of funny because it's not it's not like the kind of the tagline that like jumps out at you, but if you look at the picture on the poster, it's sweet as hell. You know, it's Carl Weathers. He's in a tuxedo. He's got sexy vanity, like kind of leaning up against him with her little little booty on him, and she's kind of rubbing on his hip. I mean, it's it is a cool poster. Um, so anything you need to know about Action Jackson, if you, if you like never heard of it, and you pull up that poster, and like my first thought is like, oh, he's like James, he's black James Bond. Uh, he's, he's not, but he has all the, uh, the suaveness and the sex appeal of, of James Bond, plus like 45 pounds of pure muscle. And the movie does not waste any time getting right into it. We, uh, see Ed Ross's character Stringer. He's a, a union executive and, uh, well, he gets a, an unexpected visit from some assassins who light him on fire. He falls out the window down this huge what was like a skyscraper to a restaurant below and we're off and running yeah the film really wastes no time in getting to the action no pun intended and then we get the little pointer sisters he turned me out which is a fantastic song and uh we see some shots of detroit so kind of setting where we're at here um and then we are introduced during this as well to albert the pickpocket or just thief in general uh, but he's not very good at this job at all. And uh, he ends up getting his ass beat by some large woman who I think is really a guy, but that's neither here nor there. And we meet uh, two of our police officers, Cornblow and Lack, and they pick him up, throw him in the back of their cruiser, and they start on him with the Action Jackson hype, Chad. Oh, yeah. Albert has got to be one of the worst thieves of all time. Uh, he, he follows this woman. Uh, for a couple of blocks, decides to try to grab a purse, gets the shit beat out of him. And he basically gets uh, gets saved by these two cops who arrested him. Um, and like you said, they, they got him in the back of the cruiser and they're taking him to the precinct or whatever. And they start uh, just hyping Action Jackson to the point where it's just uh, absurdity, like what they're talking about. He's created by NASA to be the first man to walk on the moon without a suit. He's uh, the illegitimate son of uh, Bigfoot. He's like, he's all these things. Um, and he's basically going to just ruin Albert's world. Yeah. And by the time he does actually come face to face with Action Jackson, uh, after trying to escape the uh, police station, he just passes out in fear. And we meet the man himself, the coolest man on the block, Jericho Action Jackson. And I'm going to tell you what, uh, Chris, I mean, do they get any cooler than Carl Weathers? They do not, because as a fan of the Rocky series, to have him become an action hero in his own franchise was definitely something that Little Toy Man was very excited about when he was watching this movie way back in the day. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. This is really Carl Weathers' first chance. We, we saw him in all the Rocky f- films, well, at least up to four all the Rocky films that were out at this point. And then he had, uh, you know, supporting role in predator, which that's a great film to be involved in, in any 
shape or form. And then this is it. This is his big, like, this is his moment. And uh, again, I, I, you know, we've talked about it countless times on this podcast and I've, I think I've written about Action Jackson more than almost any other movie on the site. But, uh, you know, this one, he, he deserved more. He deserved more than just this one time. But I'm going to, you know, I, I cherish the, this one movie that we did get. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, it's it, it's also very surprising. We talk about how, how cool this movie is and how much charisma that Carl Weathers has as a lead actor in an action film uh, in what should have been a series of films. Um, but this movie made money. Like it did pretty well for the amount of money they spent on it. Um, and then how much money it brought in and then especially on like VHS sales and all that stuff. So there it's, it's kind of a mind boggling to think that this movie didn't produce a sequel, if not in 1989 or 1990, like shoot 1998, you know what I mean? It would have still worked 10 years later especially with the popularity of all the Michael Bay level action movies we were getting. I mean, this was essentially a Michael Bay movie, uh, you know, as the movie rolls on with the car chases and the explosions and the shootouts and just death around every turn with what's going on. This was perfect for that whole uh, Con Air, Bad Boys, The Rock type of era of action in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. Yeah, I think that we have Joel Silver uh, partially to, to, to thank for the, the the fact that this movie, for one, that it got made, um, but also the, the the type of film that it is, that it that it exists as a good action movie. It's not just like some black exploitation film that that kind of like stood on it, just stood on that alone and wasn't that good. But the movie is really good. It's well made. Baxley's awesome as a director. And it made money. So it, it's, it's kind of bizarre to think that this film was the only one, you know, starring Carl Weathers as Action Jackson. Yeah, and it made money, you know, at a, not the hottest time for theaters. I mean, it was a February release. So it wasn't like, you know, it's a, you know, it just, it did very well at a time where people really aren't going to movies. It was kind of a dead time and uh, still did well. But you've got to wonder, it came out on February 12th. How many guys dragged their girlfriends and wives to this on Valentine's Day? <laughs> you know, we talked about that on our last episode about Delta Force, which actually came out on Valentine's Day in '86. So, yeah, that, that'd be another great example. If your your girlfriend went to see Action Jackson with you on Valentine's Day in 1988, I hope you married her. I hope you were getting some action. Oh, ooh. nice tie-in. No, I mean sex by that, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Oh, so we're, okay. So we're all clear. I thought it meant maybe gambling. All right. Um. So we meet Bill Duke, who plays kind of the anti-police captain that we would, you know, we're kind of accustomed to in in these films, as he's kind of low-key and, uh, you know, doesn't like uh, foul language, and he plays Parcheesi, I believe. So uh, he calls in Action Jackson and asks him to attend a Man of the Year banquet in his place. And uh, the Man of the Year, though... Mm, not somebody that Action Jackson's a big fan of, Mr. Peter Delaplane. One of the finest villains in cinematic history. You love some Craig T. Nelson, don't you? And it's so weird that a year later, he went from this role to being the beloved coach on the famous ABC sitcom. He went from roundhouse kicking Carl Weathers <laughs> to being coach. And I always wonder if that had something to do with like, maybe the perception of Action Jackson, but you know, like you said, though, he is such a good villain in this movie, uh, as we will we will discuss. I mean, he's pretty ruthless. And uh, but, yeah, I don't know if, if that kind of tarnishes it somewhat. If people who weren't on board right away caught it and was like, what the hell? How is coach the bad guy? I don't know. Did they just write it off because of that? Um, I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, Peter Delaplane and Action Jackson have a, a past. Um Actually, Jackson was demoted to sergeant after uh, an arrest of Delaplane's son. Uh, with I understand there was some excessive force, is what's insinuated, because uh, as Armbruster tells uh, Jackson, he nearly broke the boy's arm off. And of course, Action Jackson hits the line. He had another. He so had that's a spare. great. And again, he had his, there you go. He had a spare. Um, great, you know, again, just that 
cooler than the other side of the pillow, Carl Weathers, delivering his lines. Um, so Jackson does go to the man of the year thing. A great little scene with that snooty British guy type, you know, what do you think of our man of the year? And, and you know, Action Jackson just rips him. Um, that's one of my favorites. And then we, this is where he meets uh, the lovely Patrice Delaplane. Uh, I know you're a big fan of this uh, aspect of the film, Chad. Yeah, Sharon Stone makes an appearance here. Um, this is 88. Um, I guess when you see Sharon Stone on screen in 88, expectations are there's going to be more of her to appear on screen at some point. And while there's a glimpse at, at later on in the film, um, she doesn't play the typical role that Sharon Stone would play. Um, she's She is the wife of of the villain of, of Peter Delaplane, but she's not, she's like the innocent wife. Yeah. So she appears and she's, she's talking to, to Jackson and, and she kind of feeling him out a little bit. What are your opinions on this and that? And, and uh, I don't, I don't believe that he, he knows who she is when he's talking to her because he's, no, he, not at first. yeah, he's straight to the point. Like, ah, oh, this guy's a dick, whatever. Um, and then he finds out that she is in fact the wife, but, but yeah, the Sharon Stone, her character is a little different. It, it kind of throws you off. I hadn't seen the movie in, in quite a few years when I recently rewatched it. So I, was, I had forgotten that she was even in the movie because in my mind, it's always Carl Weathers, Vanity, Craig T. Nelson. And I'd forgotten that Sharon Stone was even in it. But um, yeah, it's a little bit different than, than you would expect. Well, remember, we're still a few years shy of the basic instinct breakout role that really made her like you know a sex pop because a year before this, she was in Police Academy 4. So <laughs> you're right. We weren't we weren't at the line crossing Sharon Stone era just yet. Where's where is the uh, was it um, King Solomon's Mines and all those? Where are those at? What year? King Solomon's Mine was eighty six. Okay, those are fun. But she's very innocent in those films. Mm-hmm. So after you know, at the banquet, we get a little face to face between uh, Delaplane and Action Jackson, just to further cement that these two, you know, that you definitely feel the friction between the two gentlemen. Um, and then we cut to yet another union guy uh, meeting a untimely demise. And this one's a pretty spectacular yacht explosion with uh, opera music playing. So it's really dramatic. And uh, again, another great action piece and another establishing this, this group of assassins who we're soon going to find out work uh, for Peter Delaplane. These, these assassin guys, you know, they, they kind of appear out of nowhere, uh, both in the film and then like literally in the film, like they, they just kind of pop in and, and then they disappear all the time. So, but they're, it's kind of cool. Cause you have like the, uh, there's a few different guys and they all have like their own little gimmick. Uh, you got like the sniper guy, you have like the knife guy, you have the dude who just kind of like jumps through windows for no reason. Um, so they, they make a really interesting henchman group that I'm super excited to watch die later. They were almost cartoonish in, in that gimmickry. It was like having like a band of like the GI Joe ninjas. Yes. That, you know, you could kind of separate everybody by their gimmick, by their theme. Yeah. And they almost needed like, so they all had their gimmick, but they needed like more, right? Like oh, yeah. put, a, put a hat on one of them, right. Or give one guy like an eye patch. That way he could set himself apart a little bit more. Like a little bit more make- characterization. Exactly. Maybe make it a little bit more cartoonish. Like give the, the sniper guy a freaking uh, uh, monocle. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you had the you had the uh, Huey Lewis looking guy, and then you you had the big hair guy, and and, and I guess well, Bob Miner obviously he stands out. Gamble um, he stands out uh, among the group. Um, but uh, the way that Action Jackson finds out that uh, Peter Delaplane is involved in in these union murders is his old buddy from high school, Tony Moretti played by the one and only Robert Davi a uh, small role for him here. But uh, you know, again, while he's on there, he's, he's stealing the scene. Um, and so Moretti tips off action about, uh, about Delaplane and even uh, tells him about uh, Miss Sydney Ash um, and how she may be able to get him some more information on Delaplane. If you could slide Robert Davi in your film, uh, it's not going to hurt it. That's for sure. Because the dude, he's got like a, a face that would typically be made for radio. But when you, <laughs> when you put him on film, it's like a memorable face. 
So even with what four or five minutes with the screen time, like he drops all this information on, on Jackson, but he's also like a character that is memorable to the point where it, it makes sense for the film for him to be there. Someone has to deliver this info, but the idea that he was friends with Carl Weathers and like that he's fallen on these hard times and like shit has just hit the fan for him. Like you can feel that in his performance. And it's like, it's a testament to the actors that were kind of just like bouncing around these kind of B movies and that were do bit parts in, in, in late eighties action films. And it was really like, just like a, a abundance, like abundance of great actors back then. And he again, he's not in very long because as soon as Action Jackson leaves his apartment, uh, Gamble, who is played again by Bob Miner, shows up uh, disguised as a delivery guy, and that's the end of Tony Moretti. But meanwhile, we uh, get our first look at Vanity as Sydney Ash, and she's singing a song, a you know, kind of little rehearsal uh, before the evening's show with uh, an audience of one, Mr. Peter Delaplane, who basically tells her that he has an erection as he's listening to her sing. Um, and I always wondered about this, like Craig T. Nelson's grandkids are watching this movie and they're hearing their grandfather talk about his erection. It, it's, it kind of disturbs me when I think about that. But you have to admire him for getting right to the point. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. That is true. And, you know, and I think, you know, the soundtrack is, is great. Um, you know, the whole R and B vibe, which is perfect for, for Detroit Motown, um, and if you're going to have vanity in your movie, you may as well use her singing talents as, you know, along with her acting. And, well, we're about to get into some of her other talents. Um, but, yeah, it just makes sense to, to get vanity on the soundtrack. Vanity in this movie played vanity. Like, you know, her character's name was Sydney Ash. But not only the fact that she was a singer, but sadly, the fact that she was also a drug addict. You know, that was something that ailed her in real life. I mean, this is a role that hit really close to home in all aspects for the better and the worst parts of it. Yeah, and you, you mentioned it there because we find out that Peter Delaplane, basically, you know, it's, it's his mistress. You know, he's got Sharon Stone and Vanity, which <laughs> right there would make you hate Peter Delaplane just because, like, wait a minute, you're, you're hogging all these women to yourself, buddy. Um, but, yeah, he's got her, you know, believing he's going to get her a recording contract and, you know, it's going to be nothing but glitz and glamour for her but then also has her hooked on now i don't know if he got her hooked or he just at least is making sure she's getting what she wants gets her fixed so she's kind of beholden to him because of that um we also meet her bodyguard ed who is just a ginormous man um and and ends up becoming a, a more of a player later in the film uh but you know he's one of those guys you're not going to forget once if you see him yeah ed's a badass and Thankfully, he's there. Like you said, towards the end of the film, he's he uh, proves to be quite useful. But uh, he doesn't take shit from anybody, especially Delaplane. And, and no matter who's paying him his salary, he, he still kind of takes his job seriously. This is, a, I'm sure, a favorite scene of yours, Chad, because we do get naked vanity, which I think was almost inner. I was almost surprised she. I, I always wonder if she tried to get naked in The Last Dragon, because I think that's the only movie she did not get naked in. Well, you know, if you have a talent. You want to show it off a little bit. So I, I can't falter for that. Uh, I can just appreciate what she's given us and move on. <laughs> very well put, Chad. You, you, you know, very dignified. Thank you. Um, so then we go, we, we go forward. We see uh, Action Jackson interrupting Peter Delaplane, his wife, Patrice, and the Auto Worker Alliance president, Raymond Foss. They're at lunch. And here comes Action Jackson with some photos of dead Tony, uh, basically interrogating uh, Delaplane a little bit. And uh, just, again, adding to that friction as these two just continue to butt heads. And we find, you know, because now he's kind of Raymond Foss is like, oh, yeah, what's going on? Why, why are the cops kind of interested in you? But Delaplane, cool as a cucumber, just blows them off, blows the whole thing off and says it's no problem. Typical for a... Uh rich evil rich villain evil you know millionaire mastermind just hey you know what I'm not gonna worry about it i can buy someone off i can hire someone to take care of this we're good craig t um while not like a physical presence on screen as a villain like he really has that smarminess down and, and i i don't know if it's part of the part of the the late 80s like wall street kind of vibe 
but he's a very hateable character. And then we get to see one of your favorites, Chad, James Liu. And at first it seems like he is uh, Della Plaine's martial arts instructor, but we find out, no, it doesn't seem that way because uh, Della Plaine actually gets the better of him. Yeah, I mean, I would love to take lessons from James Liu. Um, I'm not certain that they would uh, they'd, they'd end the same way they did in the film. Let's hope not. No, I'd, I'd probably pull a knife or a gun on him. But, uh, wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't mess around. But, uh, but yeah, it's one of those scenes where it's kind of funny because you're like, uh, what, was Craig T. Nelson in like a karate gi or something? Uh, I think he was just in like sweats. Was he in sweats? Okay, I was hoping he was in a gi. But he, uh, yeah, he's like throwing these these roundhouse kicks and spinning kicks and uh, whoever the stuntman is, uh, you know, God love you. But it's just not the same. Uh, and I don't care how many fight scenes they put Craig T. Nelson in this film. I will not ever be threatened by him. <laughs> well, and I, you got to believe that that's why this scene was here because you just said it. He, he didn't, didn't come off as like this physically imposing badass. Right. He was more of the maniacal rich guy who just abused his power to the nth degree. So like they tried to throw this in here to be like, look at this. He could snap a karate guy's arms. He's awesome. He's tough. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And it's um, funny too, because he has, he has plenty of dudes around him. Like he has Al Leong, like just hanging out right there. Like he has guys that could, that could put on sweet fight scenes later in the film with Carl Weathers He's got guys to, to, to do his fighting for him, but uh, apparently Craig Craig Baxley wanted to uh, make Craig T. Nelson some sort of physical presence, so this is how how he did it. That, that's a great mention of Al Leong, that's where I was going to go with it. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, we're all familiar with wrestling terminology. I guess they wanted to give Craig T. the rub, you know, surround him with a couple of veterans and, you know, get some of what they're known for rubbing off on him to make him into more of a, a bigger threat for Carl Weathers. And if naked vanity was not enough for you, gentlemen, we get some naked Sharon Stone in the shower. And when she's done with the shower, she uh, overhears Cartier, the, I guess, manservant slash butler of Delaplane. And, and I'll tell you what, Cartier is the guy I hate the most <laughs> in this movie. I absolutely hate this man. He's just a horrible. He's a hateable character in pretty much every movie he's ever done. Right. Return of Swamp Thing uh, comes to mind. Yep, he was also in uh, Best of the Best 2, along with someone that we'll see later on in this film. Oh, a little teaser there by the Toy Man. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, she hears uh, him talking about Dead Tony, talking about Action Jackson, and she's like, wait a minute, what's going on? Because, again, at lunch, Peter Delaplane acted like he had no idea who Tony Moretti was when he saw the pictures of his corpse. Um, so this is a little bit disturbing for patrice and she tries to talk to peter but he's on his his car phone on an overseas call heading out for a meeting he's like listen lady i don't have time for you this is costing me money and just kind of blows her off and wouldn't you know who showed up at the door shortly thereafter the one and only action jackson impeccable timing yeah carl weathers has always been known for his impeccable timing uh, but let's go back to what's really important about this naked sharon stone Yes. Yeah. So she's she's kind of hanging out in the shower there, getting clean, and uh, she overhears all this jazz. And I don't know if this is the first time she's uh, kind of got the the uh, the inkling that something may be wrong with her husband. But she, boy, she must be stupid if this is the first time. But she starts to kind of put the pieces together, and then Action Jackson swoops in. It's kind of kind of the icing on top, or the cherry on top of the icing there that like kind of fills this whole thing out. You know, I'm, I'm going to deliver some information to you, show you that your husband is indeed a prick and that he's murdering people left and right. Well, and, and I think she, even when they have their little drink together and they, they're kind of talking, she kind of understands to a point like, Hey, you know, to be successful in business, you have to be ruthless. I don't think she, you know, obviously she's completely naive to him being a murderer or at least ordering the murders of people. But I think there's part of, like she understands why, you know, people might not like him because he's successful and he's rich and, you know, he had to, has to do what he has to do in business. But uh, yeah, we have that nice little scene there with those two where she's kind of spilling the beans. Yeah. I would have liked her to, I think it would have been cool if she, that scene right there. So she's kind of spilling the beans a bit. She's opening up to, to, to Mr. Weathers there to Mr. Jackson. 
uh, but really she's duping him. You know, she's in on it with Peter. She's, she's bringing him in, getting him comfortable. And then together they smash him. That would have been cool. Jay Cruz rebooking the movie again with a swerve vintage Russo right there. <laughs> vintage Russo. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Vince Russo figure available at Figures Toy Company. Um, That's true. So yeah, so after their little their little drink they have together, they head out and uh, they almost get uh, killed by a swerving taxi cab being driven by the one and only Gamble. Um, and this leads to one of the more uh, infamous scenes, one of the big action scenes of the film uh, with Action Jackson showing off his athletic ability, uh, which is second to none. Why do they call you Action? That's right, and and she finds out firsthand as he's running down a cab, jumping on a cab. You know, he might as well have just been surfing that cab. Explosions. You know, this this was a Michael Bay scene. Going back to what we talked about a few minutes ago. Now, if he had moto surfed that thing, that would have been as epic as it gets, especially for 1988. Or how about punching out the windshield with you know no damage done to his hand, just cracking <laughs> all that glass with one good shot. I love it. That you know, if you piss off Carl Weathers, if you piss off uh, Jericho Jackson, there's no telling what he could do physically. He's able to. I mean, look at the guy; he's a freaking specimen. I mean, NASA created him to walk on the moon without a suit. Shit, still with that Apollo Creed punching power. Yep. So after that, after he survives that situation and Gamble gets away, um, Jackson turns his attention to Peter Delaplane's other woman, and he goes to the uh, club where Sydney Ash is performing and he enjoys a, a, a number that she does. He does not mention if he has an erection, uh, which was probably good because I don't know that that'd be appropriate. I don't, it's definitely not appropriate now, but it, uh, you know, I don't even think it was appropriate in 1988. Right. But if you had one, you would have seen it. Well, th- there is that too. I, I maybe have to, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go back and look. Um, Nelson, you wouldn't have seen it. Carl Weathers, you would have noticed it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, yes, <laughs> that's that's where this podcast is headed, folks. And this is we get to see Ed again, and we get to see Ed in action for the first time. Uh, you got to, you know, when we first meet him, it's obvious this guy could do some damage. But uh, we see uh, Action Jackson trying to get into the dressing room to talk to Miss Sydney Ash, and uh, the the human barricade that is Ed <laughs> pretty much prevents that at first, but. Uh, Again, there's another fun scene uh, with uh, Carl Weathers doing a little of his uh, football background comes into play here. Oh, yeah. And, and Ed, you know, he already looks like George Foreman, but he he obviously can take a punch like him, too, because uh, Jackson rears back and lays in a couple. But uh, it isn't until he freaking Goldberg spears into the door and Ed smacks his head against the table that uh, that he finally gets the better of him. Poor pacifist Ed. <laughs> yes. That's what it gets you in a 1980 late 80s action movie. So now, he, you know, Action Jackson does get through, uh, at least knocks Ed out uh, momentarily long enough that he can, you know, uh, offer Sydney a ride home. And while all this is going on, Patrice and Peter Delaplane are having a, a conversation and she tells him that she told Action Jackson everything she heard on that phone call. And this does not sit well with Peter Delaplane, who we now see really, he doesn't just order people to kill. He, he's willing to kill himself and he shoots his own wife. That's right. One woman out of the way and another one to go. Yeah, I don't know what the uh, situation is in the state of Michigan when it comes to divorce. You know, do, you split, do you have to split it 50-50? I don't know. But... Uh, Peter Delaplane wasn't taking any chances because he straight up killed his wife and then he planted her ass in Jericho Jackson's apartment. That is, that's pretty uncool. Right. Uh, that's two birds with one Sharon Stone. <laughs> you were waiting all podcast to use that, weren't you? Man. I just came up with it on, on the fly because that's how good I am. Um, so, so yeah. So now Jackson is wanted for at least, you know, suspected of murdering because they found this body in his apartment. So now he and Sydney are on the run and, but Jackson, you know, he's this, this is his neighborhood. This is his world, Detroit. He finds his old friend who runs a cheap motel, kid Sable, who is a, a former boxer 
played by the one and only Chino Fats Williams, uh, who this is one of my favorite characters in the movie. This is probably his biggest role in any movie. He's been in quite a few, but this is definitely his biggest role. And I remember actually asking Carl Weathers about uh, Chino on Twitter, and he, he had the line, as Carl Weathers would, of course, that when Chino entered the room, you know, smiles on everybody's faces. He just lit up the room. Just a great guy, and uh, you can see that from this film. I mean, the the yabba dabba do. He just, I love it. I love this character. Um, absolutely one of my favorites, and deserves a figure at Figures Toy Company when the action Jackson. Line. <laughs> a whole line of action Jackson, which oddly enough, the original, some of those original Mego figures that our style is based on, was that action Jackson line, not related to the film. Right. So see, it all comes together. But I, I definitely would want a Chino uh, Fats Williams. What about a Craig T. Nelson figure? Oh, yeah, with roundhouse kick action? Yeah. Absolutely. And slick back hair. Do, do like a whole filmography collection, you know, the Peter Delaplane suit, the coach sweatshirt, you know, just do everything. <laughs> Accessories, man. Accessories. Army gear from Private Benjamin. If, if you're going to get them signed, you may as well do everything you can <laughs> with them. All right, what comes next, though? You know, I love this film, as I've said. Top 10 for me. But this pool room scene that we get, I have never understood it. I, I don't know why these people go to the lengths that they go to. Action Jackson is looking for an, an old informant, you know, in the neighborhood named Papa Doc. And he goes to the bar where Papa Doc used to work and is like, hey, is Papa Doc here? They could have easily just said, no, he does not work here any longer. <laughs> but instead, they take him to this room with a cabinet. And the only thing in this cabinet is a jar. And inside the jar, Chad, do you remember? No, I don't. <laughs> inside the jar, Papa Doc's balls. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the balls. What in the hell is yeah. going on in this bar? Yeah. I don't understand it. This is so out of place, so unnecessary. What's going on? Do you can you can you shed some light on this, Chris? Uh, could have been one of those underground organ smuggling rings. <laughs> you know how you wake up in a bathtub full of ice and your kidneys gone. Maybe Papa Doc woke up in one and his testicles were gone. May, yeah, maybe. I, but yeah, this is just a very odd scene. Although we do get some familiar faces in there uh, that if you you've seen, we got Branscombe Richmond. Mm-hmm. He's in there, and uh, who's the guy from uh, Commando? Who who? De- He's dead tired in Commando. I know. Yeah, that. The, um, the big black guy. Yeah, he's so yeah. He's the new bartender. Took took Papa Doc's place, and yeah, and and you just yeah. They want to cut action. They want his balls in a jar in the cabinet. Like they have a ball. Cabinet. They have a ball. Cabinet. What is going on? You know, it's funny about the scene is it it really would fit in pretty much anywhere in the film. Uh, anywhere in the film where you have uh, Jackson and Vanity already together, but. It doesn't like fulfill anything for the movie purposes <laughs> for a plot or anything. So you can kind of slide it in. You, like when you're editing, you can be like, ah, we'll put it before this we'll, or we'll put it after that. It doesn't really matter because the scene is pretty well useless. It's a very odd sidebar. And don't forget that uh, Miguel Nunez, Joanna Mann himself, was in that scene as well. That's right. Joanna Mann. Yeah, he's like the lead one. He's like, I'm going to take out your freaking frack. And it's like, why? What? what, what the, how does this help they're, you, sir? They're a very angry group of, of men. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. And then to make it even more useless, then they go back to the to the motel and Kid Sable's like, oh, I could have told you. His balls are in a jar in the, in the cabinet. <laughs> he already knew. So why didn't, he, why didn't Jackson ask? Kid Sable, like, hey, I'm going to go find Papa Doc. He, we could have just avoided that whole thing. I guess the coolest thing about it, I think, is when they leave there, you see the Predator posters on the wall um, in, in the uh, background. So a nice little nod there. And speaking of that, yeah. we're going to get into that a little bit more of a Predator connection uh, in a bit. But the pool room, that, that's a dead end and almost was a bad end for Action Jackson. But then he goes to the deluxe barbershop with D, who's a great character in her own right because she loves the letter D and all words that begin with D. I think if you go to bulletproofaction.com, I did a five questions where I actually counted up the number of D words that D used at the deluxe uh, barbershop. But she kind of gives Action Jackson a key piece of information about a guy named O'Rooney, um, and that kind of gets 
the ball rolling for the final act. Um, but before that, Action Jackson then goes back to the motel looking for Sydney because now they got to, you know, this is their chance to, to nail Delaplane. But Sydney's not in the room. But being a junkie, she found a dealer, and that dealer, Chad, Mr. Quick. Yeah. Uh, surprise appearance by Sonny Landum uh, of Predator fame. And he uh, gets to have a nice little uh, little beatdown action with Action Jackson. And it doesn't quite go the way that he had hoped. Uh, but but you can see that, and this is probably, uh, Chris, what you were talking about with the best of the best too, right? That's right, because Sonny Lanton played uh, Tommy Lee's cousin James when they were hiding out from Wayne Newton's assassins in Best of the Best 2. What a, the way you just described it is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> hiding from Wayne Newton's assassins. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so Sonny Landon shows up, gets to fight Carl Weathers, a little predator action there, uh, mano a mano. And uh, what, what strikes me as interesting about this scene is that uh, Vanity was in there getting her drug, getting her fix. And then in the next scene, she's totally cool and walks in and like pulls off this little questioning. Like she has to kind of like play a role in the very next scene. And she does it like without a doubt, like really well. So it's kind of surprising that she goes from shooting up a bunch of drugs to being able to do this in the very next scene. Yeah. She, she, you know, she kind of gets the ball rolling on this plan. She goes and finds a Rooney uh, at this dive bar and sets up a meeting. Presumably as far as he believes is with Delaplane, but it actually ends up being with action. Jackson, Jackson finds out that they're going to try to, they're going to, have a big birthday party for Raymond Foss, who is the uh, president of the AWA. Um, and that's not the American wrestling association. Um, but, one. uh, yeah, the other one It's not, we're not trying to kill uh, Stanley Blackburn here. It's Raymond Foss. Anyway, there, there's a nice reference for all you uh, old school <laughs> wrestling fans. Also, Joe Blanchard would have worked in that, that scenario as well. Um, the burning folks, but, uh, yeah, so we, we get this this meeting, and he finds out Ray Foss is going to be assassinated. But before anything can really happen, Delaplane and his assassins show up. They take uh, Sydney away, and then we get the classic scene where Jackson is, like, chained up, and Peter Delaplane does what every villain should always do, kind of give the whole monologue of his evil plan, uh, lays it all out for him, talks about how he's going to frame Jackson for the killing of Foss, and then also in Evil Villain Handbook 101, he then leaves and lets his men deal with Action Jackson. This does not work out well for him. Uh, no, and, and you know they really hit it out of the park when it comes to the kind of the paint by numbers, uh, the way that you would do an action film in 88. Like your first your villain, first your hero gets captured like 11 times throughout the film. But he always gets away in various different ways. And at some point, the main villain will capture him and he'll tell them all about his evil plan. And then he'll just walk away like an Austin Powers and assume that he's dead. Uh, and it never works. Absolutely never. Uh, but in this instance, it gives us a chance to, to see our buddy Ed again. And whether Ed is pissed or not, I couldn't tell by the look on his face. Uh, from, yeah, from he hit his head on the table, but he is at least interested enough to uh, to save Jackson and to save the entire film. So he's kind of the hero. He really is. I mean, again, I think like you said earlier, he takes his job of protecting Sydney seriously. And you know, when he realizes that you know he kind of failed there, he's helping the guy who was helping her. I, I don't know how he figured all that out, but who cares? Yeah. If, without him. Action Jackson would be dead and Peter Delaplane would have gotten whoever he wanted into the white house and been pulling the strings like the uh, puppet master behind, behind the scene. Now, Ed made a great baby face save and uh, they cleaned house on the invisible men. And uh, we didn't mention it earlier, but uh, the guy that you said was the Huey Lewis looking guy, you might remember him from die hard as one of the terrorists but he was also the supposed best friend of Jerry Pelt in One Man Army. <laughs> yes, he was. Dennis Hayden. The most memorably named action hero of all time, Jerry Pelt. Jerry Pelt, realtor, also action star. One of my favorites. 
That's one of that's one of my favorite no surrender cinema. That's another thing to look up, people. Bulletproofaction.com. Check that one out. Um, so then after Ed saves the day, they ask the guys how they like their ribs. And uh, <laughs> great scene. And the great thing here is that cut because you see the fire uh, you know, with the fire, and then we cut to the fire at the party, uh, the party that Action Jackson, Ed, Arnold, and uh, or Albert, I should say, and Kid Sable uh, crash this uh, birthday party and just kind of blend in. Nobody seems to know. Al Leong is completely clueless that Action Jackson's walking around, but that's all right. Um, and and this is our, our big thing because. Raymond Foss about to get assassinated by a gamble who's dressed like action Jackson up in a tree with a, with a rifle. Uh, but action Jackson gets there, not quite in enough time, but at least saves Raymond. He t- still takes a bullet to the shoulder, I believe, but uh, we get that great fence death for gamble. Yeah, that's great. That it's, it's so funny that, you know, gamble has kind of gotten away so many different times throughout the film. Like he's these, this, these, uh, these quiet and mysterious assassin group. Um, they finally kind of been dealt with except for gamble. And then their whole plan with gamble to like, he's black. Let's put him in a red shirt <laughs> and kill Raymond Foss with him. Like they'll think it's uh, it's action Jackson. He'll be in trouble. Uh, but of course it doesn't work out that way. They say Foss and gamble gets, uh, gets dropped onto the old uh, cast iron fence, uh, which is, it's, it's like a top 10 death scene in any movie. It's someone dropping on a pointy fence. Yeah, that would be revived in the wonderful Punisher War Zone. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, that's my second favorite fence death. I think the first one would be Death Wish 2. Um, when uh, Kersey's yes. daughter yeah. plunges to her demise. Uh, it's a horrible scene to love, but uh, I don't know. It just it means something it special. Impact. Um, <laughs> it does. It did. It made an impact and you know really set Kersey back on his, his vigilante ways at that point. Um, so then comes probably the most iconic scene in the movie. Action Jackson has eliminated Gamble. His old partner's there about ready. Like he realizes, hey, wait a minute. You're wanted for murder, buddy. I'm going to take you in. But then just at the right time, Sydney screams from the window above. You know, he, he turns. He's Cotterwell, I believe, is, is his old partner's name. Turns, sees Delaplane basically holding uh, Vanity or Sydney hostage. Just throws him the gun. Is like, fuck it. And Jackson gets in the car. And we get it. Hot, hotter, hottest. And most importantly, that goddamn Cartier dies. <laughs> I fucking hate that man. With every bit of, oh, I just, I hate him. And he got his. And, and just the, the whole visual of driving that car up the stairs. And you better believe Figures Toy Company better have a up the stairs car playset when they release these figures. I'm just telling you right now, Chris, it just has to happen. Just like a double plane mansion diorama complete with the car and Cartier, a bloody variant Cartier at that. Yes. Well, it's important for Action Jackson to have his car. He loves his car. And you can have it like come apart like in multiple pieces. Uh, oh, you, know what, you know what you could do? You could repurpose that uh, WWE Slam Mobile that they were selling with the Braun Strowman figure because it's a red sports car that comes apart. That's perfect. Are you allowed to do that? <laughs> I mean, I'm not allowed to do that, but I mean, maybe we can talk to some customizers. But, you know, we, we can, okay, uh, there we go. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go to the underground. We, you know, we'll, we'll dive into the depths of uh, underground toy makers and see what they can do. So, yeah, once uh, he gets to his destination, which is Peter Delaplane's bedroom, the car just <laughs> drives right into the bedroom, and uh, we have our final showdown, and uh, Delaplane's still trying to play some mind games with, uh, with Jackson here. Wanting to go mano a mano, but uh, he's a dirty villain, so of course he's cheating. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're you're already a bad guy. You've you've kind of killed quite a few people at this point. You're not going to have a fair fight. That's just all there is to it. Now he does do a, a, a pretty decent job, uh, and and kind of without that James Lou scene earlier in the film, this scene would just be comical. So it's really a good thing they did that earlier. Um, but I, I, I would have liked one additional scene in there somewhere where maybe he's just like training or something, but whatever it's still, I still get it at the end. He's, he's still somewhat of a force to be reckoned with. Um, 
And it makes it even better that as they're kind of duking it out there, uh, Della Plain kind of gets a few good kicks in, and then Jackson goes through the wind the window, the side window on the car, and then he and then he finally like he turns the switch on into me like you've pissed me off like that was the line that I didn't know I wanted to hear so bad, but when I heard it, uh, it was magical. It's beautiful. He gave him a Hogan point, hulked up, and started kicking his ass. And what a, what a masterfully shot fight scene, too, that, you know, Craig T. Nelson was most likely, I would say, not hitting those spinning roundhouse kicks. What? But the way they shot it made him look like a total badass to live up to the hype that we had seen previously in the movie. Yeah, and you brought it up, that, that James Lewis scene definitely served a purpose. We talked about it earlier, unlike the pool room scene, which served no purpose. All right. <laughs> but the Sharon Stone shower scene and the vanity nudity scene – served so many purposes absolutely you're gonna have an r rating you may as well take advantage of it indeed so then we you know he peter delapain is shot shot dead uh, by action jackson get the happy reunion between sydney and and jericho jackson and the, you know the, right there you know this is where it's perfect where they just kind of like this is going to continue on these two are now an item and this should have continued on, but it obviously did not. But uh, a, a great ending to a great film. And uh, any final thoughts, Chris, on, on Action Jackson? Uh, you know, it is one of my favorites. Uh, the only thing that could have possibly made it better would have been to have been released by Canon Films. Because it fits oh. right in with all the great stuff of the time period, just that excessive action, uh, you know, before that was the mainstream, you know, usually the only way that you would get that would be in something that was a little more low budget or direct to video. So action Jackson, you know, this was a, a Carl Weathers passion piece. And, you know, like we said before, it made money, did well in the theater, did great on video. He could have been a franchise star and, uh, you know, it's going to be one of the great could have been because it definitely should have led him down that path. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, for all the things that this movie does really well, and it does a lot of things really well, um, the one problem that I have with this film is it doesn't kind of go out of that comfort zone enough, right? You know, so in, in the same year, in 88, Seagal comes out, uh, Above the Law, I think was his first film, Yep, and, and he beating the shit out of guys that break their arms. And he's like this cop who just didn't give a shit. And he's like, he's messing people up in a bad way. And he's dropping F bombs left and right. And he's, he's just different. Like he, he he's not, uh, he's not the other, he's not Chuck Norris. He's not like these other action, action heroes that are on the scene at the time. He just seems different. And, and I think that if this screenplay had gotten a little more attention, maybe if there was a few more, lines of dialogue in there that would make uh, Jericho Jackson seem different than just kind of that paint by numbers action hero that this film could have been like a massive hit. It, it reminds me a lot of Bruce Willis films that aren't diehard. They're just not memorable. You know, you, you may have brought up a great point there with, uh, you know, I never really thought of it that way, but yeah, I mean, we were kind of shifting away from the Arnold and Stallone model. Yeah. And moving into this more Jean-Claude Van Damme Seagal model where there's a little bit more martial arts and a little bit more hand-to-hand type stuff. So, yeah, maybe, you know, like, Carl, it just came a little bit too late. Like, if, if Action Jackson would have come out in 1986, would we have seen more Action Jackson? Right. And it that's very well possible. It could have been. And and, and I think that it sucks. Like, Carl Weathers has all the tools, like every one of them. And this movie is like the perfect or like uh, it's not really an origin, but it's the perfect like setup to this series of films starring this guy. Like at the end of the film, they're like, all right, Lieutenant, like, oh, I'm getting promoted again. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I'm getting my promotion back. But uh, like it, it's the perfect setup for this series to move forward. Um, but I don't know. It just it, it was missing something it was it's like when you have this uh you're eating dinner and you're like this dish is good but it it's missing one item like whether that's like you know maybe i should have sauteed some mushrooms and slid it in there or maybe it's some seasoning i missed but it's just missing something and he had that swagger too you know whether it was stallone and arnold before him i mean we even had you know eastwood doing dirty harry still 
at the yeah. same time. He had that swagger. It was almost like he stole Billy D. Williams' personality yeah. and integrated it into like this, you know, like you were saying earlier, cooler than the other side of the pillow, kick ass cop, as opposed to being the, the hard boiled detective or the hardened vet. You know, he was this suave debonair, very James Bondish, very you know, it was kind of like a combination of a lot of the things that were popular at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that Steve James, if he had been around, he could have he was the same way. He could have had like these awesome movies that came out where he started them, but he would have had a lot more martial arts, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh right. but but Carl Weathers is no slouch, obviously. Like the physical part, he was I mean, he was a freaking just a, a beast in these action scenes. And they, I think they could have done a lot more in making him special. I would agree. I think you're right. All right. Well, Action Jackson, our first of three Craig R. Baxley episodes in the month of September in the books now. Uh, loved revisiting this one uh, and love talking with you guys about this movie again. One of my all-time favorites. Um, we've mentioned Figures Toy Company and some of the dream products that we'd like, but uh, Chris, before we go, do you want to talk, tell us about any actual products that you guys are, are selling over there? Yeah, absolutely. So figurestoycompany.com is the home of DC Comics retro style figures, the Ring of Honor wrestling line of replica belts and action figures, Hanna-Barbera, uh, the rising stars of wrestling and the legends of professional wrestling toy lines that I oversee. Just a whole lot, a uh, huge variety. We've got a couple of new figures in stock from the DC series, uh, Teen Titans figures for Jericho and Terra are now in stock. I have also heard that some of the upcoming legends may be on the way sooner than later. We were supposed to have a couple of figures ready for WrestleMania this year, and unfortunately the plague known as COVID uh, delayed a lot of things in production, factory shutdowns and everything, so we are still rolling the pipeline along, but we could have the Chris Candido figure out uh, much sooner than expected because that was one of the ones that was due out in springtime. And other than that, just a lot in the pipeline to look forward to. Uh, Swamp Thing, The Watchmen, uh, as far as the Ring of Honor figures, PCO, Roosh, Marty Skrull, uh, the Scott Norton figure from the Legends line. Just a whole lot in the pipeline. I am very anxious Ooh. to get it all out. Uh, oh, I perked your interest there. I heard the uh, the little. I, I just want, yeah. I like, has there ever been a Scott Flash Norton? Figure? There has not. I don't. Not in the AWA okay. or WCW. Well, even the PCO figure, I, I he's had other figures in the past, but nothing. No, he's never had one. Had, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think he has either. No Quebecers, no Jean Pierre Lafitte. He has never had anything. Holy crap! Yeah, it'll be the first ever PCO, the first ever Scott Norton, uh, Candido. It's only the second one. He had that ECW Toymakers one. Yeah. Uh, Francine will be out. Francine's never had one. Wow. And the sculpts on these, like, you know, I, I've seen the head sculpts that you guys have put out, and they're obscenely good. Like, they're. <laughs> oh, the, the designers, they, they knock it out of the park. I mean, just the attention to detail is amazing. And whether it's, you know, a, a regular ordinary human face sculpt or if you have the the gimmickry like the rosemary sculpt that we just put out a couple of weeks ago with the face paint and the attention to detail on that type of stuff they're just crafting some amazing amazing things well yeah so if you guys want some action figures if you are are, are collectors like i'm i know all of us are in in one form or another here on the show um check out figurestoycompany.com uh what about your uh, twitter and uh if they want to reach out to you. Yeah, if you want to reach out to me, you can follow me on Twitter at Zach Malibu. You can read my monthly, sometimes more than monthly column, No Surrender Cinema, over at Bulletproof Action. And if you want to follow along with company stuff for product updates and news on what's already in stock, where you can find it, we are at Figures Toy Co. and at WRES underscore Superstore for the Wrestling Superstore site on Twitter. All right. And uh, yes, you mentioned bulletproofaction.com and we always encourage everyone who's listening to check that out. Always something new over there um, in the month of September. I, you know, I don't know too much of what I'm going to do yet. I do know we'll probably have some Albert Pune honorable mentions, however, uh, as a little sequel to the ultimate Albert Pune countdown we did for our anniversary last month. So uh, check that out, Chad, anything you want to, to talk about or tease or say, or what, what are you doing over there? Are you drunk yet? Not, not yet. I'm close, so I'm, I'm actually due for a refill. So, 
if we can wrap this up, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, we, we sure can. And next time we will continue our Craig R. Baxley, Baxley three celebration, because we are going to be talking about, I come in peace, AKA dark angel, uh, Dolph Lundgren classic. And uh, that will be the subject of episode 22 of the bulletproof podcast. But until then, I want to thank everybody for listening and for Chad Cruz and Christy Petrillo. I am Chris the Brain. Thank you once again and stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 